Amen. Good evening. Good to have you with us tonight. Thank you so much for being a part of our fellowship tonight. And if you're visiting with us, we especially thank you for your presence with us tonight and thank you for choosing to be here. You could be a number of places, but uh, you chose to be here. And so we hope that your time uh, together with us tonight as we study and fellowship and worship is a blessing to you. Uh, tonight, we want to uh, look at uh, a text in Matthew uh, chapter 4, and uh, this is when Jesus called his first disciples. You may know that Jesus was called a rabbi. He was considered a rabbi in his time, and that means master or teacher. And it was given to a person who was considered a wise teacher or sage, and it didn't have the formal meaning that it does today. It, there, were, there were more formal and informal rabbis in that day. And Jesus was considered, uh, therefore, a rabbi. Uh, he wasn't a part of the official temple leadership, but they did call him a rabbi. In fact, in John chapter 3, verse 2, when Nicodemus, uh, one of the Pharisees, came to him by night, uh, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And in Mark 5, they also called him teacher, which is synonymous with rabbi. Now, in, Jew in, in Jesus' day, Jewish children learned from rabbis. And as they grew older, some would continue in their education uh, if they continued to excel in their, their educational system, while others who didn't necessarily uh, have it, have, weren't necessarily cut out for education at some point or at different points, would go and work the family trade. And at around the age of 14 or 15, the best and brightest students would make it to a level of education called Bet Midrash or House of Study. They had to apply at that point to become a Talmudim or a disciple of a rabbi. Wouldn't that be nice to be able to be done by that time and you could go do the family trade or continue instead of going on further? But it was a difficult thing, and the goal of being this young disciple of a rabbi uh, wasn't just to know what the rabbi knew. It was literally to be like that rabbi. You wanted to... To, you wanted to embody that rabbi. You wanted to become just like him. And so when a student applied to a rabbi, he was desiring to take on the rabbi's yoke. You've heard Jesus use that reference before. Uh, and so that's what they were wanting to do. They would select the rabbi they wanted to apply with. Uh, they wanted to learn to do what he did. And the rabbi would want to know a few things about the student applying to him. He would ask himself questions like, can this student do what I do? Can this student, does he have the potential, the ability to be like me? Does this student have what it takes to be uh, just like me, a rabbi, one day? The rabbi would ask them Many, many questions. It was a very difficult exam or interview. Uh, he would ask them questions about the Torah, about tradition, about other rabbis, about the prophets. 
sages and the oral law about interpretations and the meaning of words and phrases and passages. And there was a whole process that they went through, a whole custom they went through as they exchanged and dialogued about all of these things. It's very interesting. If the rabbi believed the student had what it took to be his disciple, to be like him one day, he would say, come, follow me. And it was the rabbi saying to the student that he believed that student could become and be like him. That's what he saw in that student. And so the student would leave his parents. He would leave his synagogue. He would leave his village and friends and devote his life to learning how to be like this rabbi. He would literally follow him everywhere he went. And that's why there was such a uh, sudden departure when you see that, that they just got up and left. It's because this opportunity didn't come around for many people. This was a rare thing. This was something to be celebrated. This was something that a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And so if you were invited to follow a rabbi, you jumped up and you left it all and you went right then because that was the discipline of becoming his disciple. He would follow him everywhere, giving up his life to learn everything he could from him. Now, Jesus' disciples weren't quite like those rabbi students. These were the guys that Jesus called almost all of them. These were the guys that weren't cut out for that education. They weren't cut out to go that far. They were the ones that ended up being the, in the family trade, the fishermen and things like that. That's what they did. And so they couldn't continue in this formal education by rabbis. And so in, look in Matthew chapter 4, in verses 18 through 22, we see these words. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, being Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, they saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, uh, mending their nets, and he called them. See, they were all doing the family trade. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. See, they were fishermen, as I said, because they weren't cut out for the fam They weren't cut out to follow a rabbi. And so Jesus went to the not good enoughs, and he called them to follow him. Do you see that? He went to the ones that culturally uh, in their society didn't have what it took. He went to them. He didn't go over to students of another rabbi. He didn't go over to students applying to a rabbi. He didn't stand in that line saying, apply to me, I'm taking applications, now hiring the best and the brightest. He went to the guys on the boat. He went to the guys with the net out in the water, the not good enough, and he said, come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. He went to the different people, not like the ones society would pick. They left their nets and followed him immediately. Now he was saying to them, and they knew what he was saying to them, you can be like me. 
When he says, come follow me, that's what they knew the rabbi saying to me. He sees in me what he's looking for in a student. I have that potential. I can be like him because he said, come follow me. What Jesus was doing was completely changing their lives. One person gave this illustration. You can maybe see that okay. He said, if I were to change a Dutch garden into an Italian garden, the garden on the left is supposedly a Dutch garden. I have no idea. I just believed them. That's what it looks, apparently looks like when you visit Dutch or wherever that is. <laughs> now, if you were to take a Dutch garden and turn it into an Italian garden, he says... Uh, that would be conformed. That's the word conformed. One garden conformed into another garden. Do you see that? What is it still? A garden. It was simply conformed from one style of garden into another. But he went on in his illustration to say, if I were to transform a garden into something wholly different, say a garden into a city, this would be transformation. Do you see that? It's no longer a garden. It is not at all what it used to be. It is something altogether different. He said that's transformation, a garden to a city. And this is the message of Romans 12 too, isn't it? Look at that verse. Paul writes, do not be conformed, changed to be something like, similar to, basically the same thing. Do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed into something altogether different by the renewal. See, this new, this new mind, this renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. So with the word conform, Paul, Paul chose these words, conformed and transformed in that verse. It's a play on words for him in the original. He knew exactly what he was saying. He didn't just randomly pick some words. He didn't, he, he didn't say conform both times or transform both times. He wasn't uh, using just random words. He knew exactly the way he was saying this. For, the, for a reason. When he used the word conform, he's saying, don't pattern yourselves after. Don't fashion yourselves after the world. Now that word uh, conformed is describing something unreal, not lasting, but a transient state of being. That's exactly what the world offers, isn't it? What the world offers isn't real, is it? Now, it might look real and feel real, smell real, all of that, but it isn't real. It's temporary, passing. It's not what God had in mind for us. Now, transformed is a different word. It is describing something internal, not external like conformed, internal uh, and lasting, permanent, real, change. That's what the word transformed is telling us. 
Now, look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. What, what is that a picture of, if you see there? It's a, well, it's not a cookie cutter, but it's a pan to, to, make, to bake something in the shape of a gingerbread man, isn't it? And now you're all hungry and ready for me to be done, aren't you? There's some in the kitchen after church. You can, no, I'm just kidding. There's not, but... But that's, we would use that pan, wouldn't we? And we would, we would mix up ingredients and we would put it in that pan and put the pan in the oven and we would want to make something. But is the pan what you're going to eat? Is that what you're going to eat? You might have to go see a dentist if that's what you eat, isn't it? That's not really what, what you see here isn't what you're going to eat. What is it? It's the shape of, isn't it? Let's read this text, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now watch this, verse 5. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. That word appearance, your translation may use a different word. That word appearance means form or shape or outline or outward semblance. That's what conformed is. It's just this outward shape, this look, this outline, this form form of something, and Paul's saying transform means something altogether different. And this is exactly where we struggle, isn't it? This, this is where we struggle in our, in our spiritual lives. We can have the knowledge up here, but where we struggle is to actually be what it is God has called us to be, to actually, to actually live out our faith in our lives to actually work through our issues, to actually share our faith, to actually change and be more like Christ. That spiritual growth, that maturity, that's where, you know, it's not just young people. It's all, all of your life, that's where you, you struggle to actually live it out and make it real. And Paul is saying, don't just have an appearance, this form, this shape, this outline of godliness. You see, this pan isn't, the, the, the cookie or whatever that you cook inside of it. It's the outward appearance of one. When we see it, we know what it makes, we know what it looks like, but it's the shape, the outline, the form, the appearance of. But what we want isn't that. We buy this and we buy ingredients not to eat that, but to make something and have the real stuff that fills it. Isn't that right? That's what... Paul is saying here is don't be this outline to be the stuff that fills it be the real stuff inside that's what I want you to be now look at Mark chapter 10 one time a man ran up to Jesus and asked him what he must do to inherit eternal life and Jesus told him that he knew the commandments uh, uh, Jesus told him that he knew what the commandments were do not murder do not commit adultery do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the man told Jesus what? He said, I followed these all of my life since my youth. And in verse number 21, Jesus says, it says, and Jesus looking at him, loved him 
and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And what? Come, follow me. And so what did the man do? Right away, he went and he sold everything he had, gave it away, and he devoted his life to following Jesus, didn't he? That's not what he did, is it? He went away sad. That's not what he did. He, he, could, he was at that stopping point where he wanted the form, but he didn't want the stuff inside. He wanted to conform, but he didn't want to transform. He wanted to go only so far. And when Jesus said, okay, but you've got to cross this line. You, you, you hadn't gone all the way. You hadn't, you, you, it's, it's not the real deal yet. And he said, that, that's, that's, that's too far for me. I'm going to stay over here with just the outline, just the shape, just the, just the appearance of. That's where I'm going to stay. Disheartened, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. He wasn't ready to be transformed. So what about us? Do we really want what Jesus calls us to? Do we really want what Jesus calls us to be? Because it isn't always easy, and we're going to get to points where we're going to say, I don't want to go any further. Why isn't this good enough? This appears to be average. Average Christianity is here. My peers seem to be here, but Jesus is calling me here. Well, I don't, I don't want that. That's too much Jesus. See, Jesus will challenge us to see how far we want to go. I came across a quote one time from someone, and to me it said uh, what I want in my relationship with God, and I think it summarized a good approach, and it says this, Lord, help me to love you more and serve you better. And it was a guy saying that this is what he prays in his prayer every day. Think about those words, Lord, help me to love you more and serve you better. Now, look at those words, think about those words, and what does this not say? What is it not saying? The prayer is not saying, Lord, help me to serve you more. You see that? It's not saying, help me to just be more faithful and a better Christian by doing more. But sometimes that's what we substitute for greater faith, isn't it? Sometimes to us, the way we make sense of that, of, of being a more faithful, devoted Christian, is to simply just do more, be involved in more, and do ten things running all over the place. And we think that means my love is greater and deeper and my faith is greater and stronger. But notice the words, Lord, help me to love you more and serve you better. What would be different in your life if you focused on loving God more, loving God deeper, loving God more passionately, and being in more greater awe of God, and not getting that mixed up with doing more, but simply just loving Him more? What would that look like in your life? What difference would that make? 
Now, maybe we try to go about it the wrong way, but now, this, the, the issue for you might not be that you're serving too much, but think about it. What if your issue is, I'm doing ten things and I need to do two things? Because if I'm going to serve him better, I can't serve him better and continue to do more and more to continue and do all the many things that I'm doing. Maybe I need to do better by doing less so that I can do a better job at the things that I'm doing. And then I can focus on loving God more and loving the people more and the ministry that I'm working with and uh, neighbors, co-workers, those kinds of things. Uh, now, probably, it's, think about it, it's probably your love of God that drove you to do all the things you're doing anyway, isn't it? Because you love God, you're happy to serve, you've got a servant's heart, you want to serve, and so you look up and you end up and you're, you're doing a number of things, and all of a sudden you realize, my love for God isn't what it used to be. There's something missing. I'm, I'm, I'm busy, I'm doing God stuff, doing church stuff, but something's missing. Maybe it's that love that was first there that's missing because of all the activity. Now, I'm the involvement minister. It sounds strange that I would say something about doing less. But we would rather you love more and serve better than love less and run on fumes and do multiple things and be running all over the place. Which one is, which one is helping us make and grow disciples? The one that helps us make and grow disciples is to help our love for Christ grow deeper. For people to be passionately, madly in love with Jesus. And out of that, to let our love drive our service. Because you know what? There's some other people who maybe don't have things to do or aren't engaged yet. And if you'll drop a few of those things, then maybe they can, they'll have a place to plug into. Now, we ought to focus on loving God more and serving Him better. Now, let's go back to Matthew chapter 4. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 4. See, we are like those that Jesus called as his disciples back then. We are just like those. We are the not good enoughs that he went after. See, we're not, the, we're not the young students, the best and the brightest. We're not those. We are the not good enoughs that Jesus comes to and he says, come follow me, you can be like me. See, Jesus says that to us, to regular people, to the sinners, to the ones that couldn't make it, the ones that were the outcasts, the ones that weren't supposed to be anybody or go up the ladder in society. Jesus comes to all of the rest of us, all of humanity, and he says, come, follow me. You can be like me. Jesus, the rabbi, the Savior, the Lord, the Messiah, the Son of God calls us to follow him and that he is going to make us like him. Disciples would follow their rabbis everywhere. They, 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 followed, them, they followed them everywhere. They would walk right behind. They, they didn't follow them from a distance. Or they're back here talking and the rabbi's up here. Because as they talked and as they sat, as they ate, everything they did, the rabbi's teaching them. He's talking. And they wanted to hear 
everything, if they had had notebooks and recorders, they would have been capturing everything the rabbi had to say to them because the rabbi spent all of those years pouring himself into his students so that they could be rabbis like him. He was making them like him. And so they followed him everywhere, all around the place. If he picked up some wheat and put it in his mouth and carried and chewed on it. That, they would pick it up. He goes over here to the restroom. They're standing right there in case he says something. They don't want to miss anything he says. He goes over here to, to wash his hands and eat. They're right there. You would think that would get annoying, but that's how that worked. They followed him so much. And because of the way uh, students, disciples, followed their rabbi, there developed a saying among rabbis and their students. And it said it's, the saying was, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Because they followed him so closely. He's walking on these dusty roads in the sandals, and they followed him so closely, the dust would literally kick up on their sandals and their feet and their, their ankles and their shins. And by the end of the day, by the end of the journey, they look down and they've got to wash their feet. Because their feet are dirty. Of course, they've been walking, but they're the, the, the idea was that's how closely they're following their rabbi. Isn't that what you want from your relationship with Jesus? Isn't that what you want? You just want to follow him so closely. By the, by the end of the day, you look and your shoes are dirty, your socks are dirty, your ankles, your pants, are, they're all dirty because you've been right behind Jesus all day. You didn't miss a beat. You, your friends wanted to go here and uh, culture wanted you to go here and work wanted you to go here. All of these things. And you say, I'm going to stay right now. I'm following my rabbi. I'm following my savior, my master. I want to learn everything I can from him. He's pouring himself into me. I'm not going to stray from the left to the right. I'm going to be right here behind my master. And every day you, gotta, you look down and you've got to get all the dust off of you. Isn't that what you want in your relationship with Jesus? I know that's what we want in our hearts. Living it out is where the struggle is, isn't it? And that's what we want to encourage you with tonight. Be dusty every day because you're following Jesus. Now, you can't do that if you're not in his word. You can't do that if you're not talking to him. You can't do that if you're not... An active part of his body. You know, you, you can't do this all by yourself on an island. You can't do this whenever you feel like it. You ever think those students wanted a break? Maybe that rabbi was working them too hard. Maybe he expected too much. Maybe if they were honest, that thought crossed their minds. Can we just stay home and play video games and eat pizza today? You know? But no, that... There was no vacation from the rabbi. So are you dusty? I want to encourage you in your relationship with Jesus. Get dusty in your relationship with Jesus. Follow him that closely where you've got to wash yourself at the end of the day because he's, he's just gotten all over you. Wouldn't that be wonderful? If we can help you tonight in any way, if you want to study, if you need the prayers of the church, uh, if there's any way we can serve you tonight, you can come forward now as we together stand and sing.